Okay, welcome everybody to President's Day Federal Holly Learning Share. So happy to be doing this, and I wanted to thank the, the Baldingers for sponsoring. And Shlomo Kamenbas Yosef Baruch. The Baldinger family has been such an integral part of Silver Spring and, and the Yeshiva. Josh has been most enough to continue to learn with us. And the Kailal, Ezra, was my former Harusa from uh, 17 years ago. 17 years ago. 16, 16 years ago, 16 years ago. Uh, Tzvi, take a packet and have a, have a seat. Um, and, um, and we're just very happy to have the Bollinger sponsor, uh, Integral Party Yeshiva, and, and this, and this Kihila, and it should be a schos for their family who they are sponsoring it for. So the topic we're doing today is Tzvi's Kalem. There are more packets in the back of the room if you'd like. There's plenty of room for seats, please. Is Tzvi's Kalem. Tzvi's Kalem is somewhat of a broad topic, so we are going to attempt to kind of give an overview, but to focus more on certain modern-day applications and things that are very Negea Lemaisa. So it's going to be kind of a balance of both. So if we start with our packet on the first page over here, I bring down the Psukim that um, are in the Torah about the war with Midian. The Klai Yisrael went for a war with Midian, and after they fought Midian, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told them that they have to kosher all the kalim that they got from Midian, because again, they cook tarfis, treif in it, and therefore we tam ke'ikar, that the taste is something which is usher, not just eating a pig itself, but even the taste of, 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 of something that's not kosher. So they had to kosher it, and the Gemara learns that, that they were also given another commandment to do an additional form of tahara, which is being toivalit in a... Mikvah. So we'll read the Psukim Yomer Eliezer Akain on Chatsava Bayon Milchama. Eliezer Akain told the people, the generals that went to the war, Zoyskukasatera, these are the laws of the Terra Shivashas Mesha, Achasa Zahov, any kli which is gold, Vesa Kasef, or any kli which is silver. Van the Khoshes, or or again, some kind of dish or kli which is brass, as a barzel, iron, as a bdil, tin, vesa ofaris, and lead. Right, you need to do the following kasher. Anything which was used with fire has to be kasher with fire. That that's liban. That's the mashkiach pesach time taking his blowtorch and ruining your oven. V'taher, and it will be pure. In the waters of a nida, it it, it will be. Seemingly means paraduma, but the Gemara doesn't mean that. Anything which does not go through fire has to go through water. That's the source for Hagalas kalim. Um, so Chazal Darshan over here that says Kol Darshan Yavu Beish Taviru Beish Vitaher and it will become pure. The extra Vitaher is superfluous. So Chazal say the Torah came along to teach us another form of Tahara, additional to just removing the treif and the actual Machal Sesuris from the Kli itself. There is an additional Tahara which has to be done, which is toiveling it in a mikvah. And how do we know in a mikvah? Because it says, the waters that a nida is toivelim, which is 40 sa'a. So the halacha is that any keli that came from a guy needs for a non-Jew, a Gentile, needs to be toiveled in a mikvah of 40 sa'a. Oh, you found a seat? There you go. All right. Right. Needs to be toiled in a mikvah of, of, of 40 saw. So that's what we learned from over there. And it's restricted to the materials that are in the Pasuk, which is gold, silver, brass, iron, tin, and lead. And we'll talk more about materials soon. Um, I just, from Wikipedia, my great research, that most pots are steel or stainless steel, it's called, right? What is steel? Steel is really iron. It's a combination of iron and carbon together, which strengthens it. So steel most certainly be considered a form of, of iron. Okay. Um... The question is, what is the nature of, uh, of this Tevilas Kalim? Why, why, why is it that we have to be toivel the, uh, the, the Kli? So there is a Yushalmi, which is brought down, that says, because it's leaving from the Tumah of the non-Jews, and it's entering into the Tahara of the Jewish people. So it is a form of a Tumah that you are removing. However, it is not a Tumah like the, the laws of Tumah of a Tahara. It has nothing to do with a person dies, they, they transmit Tumah, or if theoretically you have a Sheritz that gives Tumah, or all the other forms of Tumah Tahara we find in the Torah, that is not what it is. It is a new type of Tumah that purely a Kli that was manufactured or owned by a non-Jew carries this level of Tumah in order for it to be brought into the Jewish household for usage and needs to then go through the mikvah to um, indoctrinate the Kli and to be mechanach the Kli and prepare the Kli for usage in a Jewish household. It's a strange form of Tumah, which actually has no other comparable form of 
tumah at all found um, in the Torah at all. So it's, it's a chiddush. It's, it's this form of tumah. The Peskim really treat it like a form of tumah, though, because they say there's a lacha by hexer kalem. So if you trafed your milchik spoon, you accidentally forgot it in the dishwasher, and, and you put it in your fleshy dishwasher, and now you want to kosher your milchik spoon. So what do you do? You boil up water in a pot, right? And you dunk the spoon in the hot water, and it becomes kosher. You are able to do what's called hexer l'chatsoyen. Which means I can take my spoon and I can dip part of it in the water and then I can flip it around and dip the other part of it in the water and that's sufficient. There is some discussion about that, but that is sufficient. It's feels kale, not hexer kale now, but that is sufficient to remove the trafe and now your spoon goes back to being part of. By tefillah's kale, that's not so. The place can say, the chayodah, the ben that if you do what's called tefillah l'chatzayin, you partially dip the kli in the mikvah, and then you flip the other side and you dip that in the mikvah, so then the tumma will come back. So the tumma was on one part, and you dunk it in the mikvah, it's tahara, you pull it out, and then the tumma goes right back to the spot was before, so you have to immerse the entire kli in the water to remove this tumma. So the Paiskim do treat this like an actual form of tumma, and yet this is, we have no other paradigm for this kind of a tumma. And as we're going to discuss, it's only restricted to kalim that are what's called clay suda, kalim that are used um, for the purposes of cooking and eating and whatnot. It does not apply to your computer, Baruch Hashem. Imagine all the shilas, but I have to dunk my, my computer in the mikvah. It does not apply to your sewing needles. It does not apply to uh, any other, your, your couch, anything else that, that, is, that, is, um, that is in your house. So, so it's specific to food utensils. Um, and it is this idea of indoctrinating a clear, preparing a vessel to enter into the Jewish household. Now, it has to be similar to what occurred by Midian. By Midian, they killed the Midianim, and they took their kalim. So these kalim belonged 100% to the Midianim. The Jews were kinda, they acquired these kalim, and they became Jewish kalim. Now that they're Jewish kalim, they are chayiv in tevila, because they transferred from the rishos, from the ownership of a non-Jew, into the ownership of a Jew. So therefore, if I would borrow a vessel from a non-Jew, it would not require... Tvila. Why? Because again, it never was comparable to that of Midian. Sadiq, there's no room you can come up front. Like, they wouldn't be comparable to Midian. Midian was, or Hashem, so many people. Midian was where it went totally from the ownership of, of a non-Jew into that of a Jew. So a borrowed vessel from a non-Jew would not fit the description of what happened by Midian. So this tumma that needs to be removed is only something when it transfers from the ownership of a non-Jew to a Jew. Or, let's say, for example, that a... Um, Jewish person buys a vessel from a non-Jewish person, and another Jewish person lends it from Jew A. So if Jew A who bought a vessel from a non-Jew, Jew B borrows it from Jew A, Jew A, Jew B now also also be toivel the keli, um, because again it transferred ownership from a non-Jew to a Jew. Um, the interesting shiloh that comes up is what do you do with a ger? Right? So you have a person that is, uh, wants to become a Jew. He has a kitchen. The rabbi comes. He kashers all of the vessels in the kitchen. He goes to the mikvah. And now all of his kalim, do they need to be those kalim? Well, let's think about it. Midian, it started with kalim that were owned by a non-Jew. And they went into a possession of a Jew. This guy himself was the non-Jew. He went to the mikvah. He still owns his vessels. So now, he's a Jew. So do we say that now, he went from being a non-Jew to a Jew, that's no different than a Jew who buys a vessel from a non-Jewish person. So, would a ger have to go and toivel all the kalim in his house? Right? So, there are opinions that hold that he does. There are opinions that hold that it's not called a transference of ownership. It's the same guy. It's not like Midian. Midian, it went from the non-Jew to the Jew. Here, it's the same person. And there is a, um, there's another interesting, fascinating shita, the Avni, the Avni Nezer, which is that a ger whose megayer is kekotin shenoladomi. He is like a, a, a newborn person. He's a, he's a new person. Not only that, but his utensils, everything he used in Zavadis Hashem, also schleps with him in his new life. So when he goes to the mikvah, it's considered everything he had has gotten a refresh. Interesting shita. I think a lot of people actually are maker, makel on the, uh, on, on the ger shayla, but just, just a fascinating um, example to that. Okay, this tumah does not make the food treif. If you were to cook with a kli, you didn't do tefillah's kalim, there is no effect to the food whatsoever. You are allowed to eat the food even l'chatchila. No problem whatsoever. Um, 
there is an interesting shita in the Rishonim, and we paskin like this l'chatchila, bidiyavid, if you mess this up, it's okay. There is an opinion in the Rishonim that held that like the order in the Psukim, you have to first, if you buy a used kli from a non-Jewish person, you would need to kasher the kli first and remove all of the machal sasuris, all of the forbidden food, all the taste particles that exist on the inside of that kli before dunking in the mikvah. And that reason held that if you did, so imagine I bought, I, I went to a yard sale and I found a stainless steel pot, who would do this? I don't know. And I found the stainless steel pot over there and I bring it home and I'm going to want to use it. So I go straight to the mikvah on my way home. I dunk the kli, clean kli, no, 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 no garbage, no filth on the outside of the kli, let's say. Um, and then I bring it home and I, and I do hagala on it. I, I heat it up. I, I allow the water to go over the over the rim. So according to this reason, that, that you, that's not, you're not allowed to do that. You have to do the tevila all over again. You have to do the hexer kalim before you do the tevilas kalim. Now we don't paskin that way, but the evidence, I said we hold it. That's good. But the question is, what is going on with this reason? And the answer is nobody really knows, right? But the opinion is brought down. But the theory behind it would be, like we said, this Tumah that's by the Kli is something we don't really understand, right? It doesn't fit the normal laws of Tumah Tahara. It doesn't fit the laws of Kashris. It's, it's not it's not Tam Isser. It's nothing a rabbi in his Yerodeus Micha ever encountered, right? So it's like something in between. This idea of taking a Kli from the domain of the Goyim and bringing it to the Jews. Kolzman, that the piggy is still in the walls of his Kli, we kind of look at it as if it's still within the domain of the non-Jew. Right? So therefore, in indoctrinating this Kli into the Jewish household, there's something wrong with that act because it is not free of the Machal Sisiris, of the, of the Isser, of the taste which is forbidden to be eaten. Again, we don't pass in that way, but it's, just, it's, it's another fascinating um, application of this black hole of what, what exactly are we doing by, by being toivel the, the Kli when we get it from the, um, from the non-Jew. So like we said, it does not affect the food whatsoever. So the question is, let's say... I was never toivel my keli. Um, am I allowed to use it, right? If it doesn't affect the food, so let me go ahead and use it. So it happens to be there's a three-way machoikis about this. One opinion held that part of when the Torah told you to toivel it, midaraisa it was saying that you're not allowed to use it until you toivel it. So if you would have used it before you toiveled it, you actually did an iser deraisa by using a kli you weren't toivel. That is one opinion in the Rishonim. We do not paskin that way. That has been kicked out. And if a person uses kalim, um, or if you have a non-Jewish relative and he uses his kalim, every time he uses his kalim, he is not over a iser deraisa. Another opinion held that the mitzvah is purely to be toivel the kalim. There's no effect on the food. So therefore, until I toivel the keli, I can use it all I want. It's not affecting the food. It's not machal sasurius. It's not, it's not forbidden food. It's this whole different tumma thing. Nothing to do with what I eat. For sure, I can, I can use it, and I'll toivel it later. We don't paskin like that anyway. That was closer to making it into halacha. What we paskin like is somewhere in the middle that Chazal created an iser derabonon and using these kalim before you tovel it. And seemingly the reason would be is in order to spur a person to go and do his due diligence and tovel the kli. Because we all know if we went to the store and we bought a kli and we came home and we didn't tovel it right away and we started using it, when are we going to actually toivel it, right? So Chazal's therefore made it also for a person to use the kli as a means to get him to toivel it. Rav Meisha in Tevilas Kalim happens to have kulas. I, I've never seen Rav Meisha do this before, but it's an entire subset of halacha where it's like one tshuva after the, the, the next, where there are just tons and tons and tons of kulas. This is a famous kula of Rav Meisha Feinstein when it comes to the usage of a kli without tevila, that again, because the Isser is Durabon, and he says the following. He says, it, the Isser of using a kli only applies to a kli where you need the usage from the kli. So for example... If I go to grandma's house, and grandma is not Shemer Torah Mitzvahs yet. She will be, but not yet, right? And she serves me toast. It's all kosher, let's assume. <laughs> and she puts it on a plate. I don't really need grandma's Corel plate. I don't need it. I can hold the toast on a napkin. I can hold it in my hand. The plate isn't doing anything for me. I'm not getting any hishtamshis. I'm not getting any usage out of the plate. The plate's purely just holding the, my, my, my bread. He, but Rasha held, and therefore you're allowed to do that because you're not actually using the kli because you don't need the kli. Whereas if grandma would serve me soup, so then I need the kli because there's no way I can hold the soup in my hand. So this is a massive kula. Same thing would go with a fork. If grandma serves me Cheerios or a spoon and, and uh, leaving out the milk, let's say dry Cheerios, it gets kind of gross. And uh, I could use, uh, I don't need a spoon. I could use my kids all the time, every morning, just like that, right? The baby, the baby, right? Just like that. Yeah, so with their hands. So the, I, I don't need a spoon. So, so, so theoretically, I could use her metal 
spoon. Everything's cold. There's no kashrus issues. Whereas if there's milk in the bowl, then that is going to get to be problematic. So my Messiah, I was told by Rebbein, Rangel and whatnot, is that, is that we, we, you know, we, don't, we try not to hold of this l'chatchila. This is not like... But if you're in a bind and you're somewhere... Um, and the Shalom Bayis issue is going on, but certainly this Ramesha is something that one can, um, can be, be Saimachan. I mean, he, he takes, a, he has another Kula, which is very fascinating. He holds that a, which we, we definitely don't pass like this, that a toaster, not, not a toaster oven, but a toaster, like the old kind of toaster that goes pop and pops up. He says because the bread really doesn't need to be toast, toasted, so then one could use the one could use the toaster again. This is not something that we that we we um, we go with. Okay, fine, that's that. Now the question is, how midiraisa do you fulfill your mitzvah tefillas kalim? What is the mitzvah? Can you ever be over an iser of not being toivel your kalim? So there are those who hold that it is a mitzvah kiyumis, which means it's purely a mitzvah which you could accomplish the mitzvah if you never toivel your kalim midiraisa. You've never done an iser. Um, the Shuz Yaakov. Um, has an interesting sheet that he held is when you when you're machlet when you decide that I'm not going to toivel it. You buy the kli, you say I'm not going to toivel it. At that point, you're over the the Israel say the chalkus binyamin rabbi yamin cohen has an interesting shot. He says no, that's mine. Sorry, sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm going to keep that one. Thank you. I mean, there's there are more over there. Um, um, the chalkus binyamin held that if you uh, have your keli on your person and you happen to walk by a, a, a mikvah, so that is very clear at that point that you've decided not to toivel your keli, and then you're going to be over the Isra deraisa. So um, there is no chiv if, you know, you bought that keli a long time ago, uh, or someone gave you a wedding gift, and you, and, and you didn't have a good, back in the good old Bed Bath & Beyond days, uh, right? So if they don't have that, that was my time, the Elam here probably was old, I didn't even know Bed Bath & Beyond was, but the new guys don't know, the old ones don't know, somewhere in the middle, uh, those millennials. So, but you have that, that, that person gave you that weird kli, and you've been keeping it in the closet this whole time, and like, you always didn't give it away because your wife said, maybe we'll use it one day, maybe Pesach and that, and it stayed. You're not over any surim by, um, by leaving it in the closet because you have in mind that when the time will come that I'm going to want to use this keili, then I will toivel it in a mikvah. Whereas if you say, I don't want to ever toivel it in a mikvah, then theoretically you might run into problem. So storing a cleat that you are going to use down the line, and you know when you'll use it, then, 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 then that, that's, that's, that's not a, that is not a problem. Okay, so the, um, let's talk about materials really quick. So the Pusik listed that the type of materials um, are gold, silver, brass, iron, tin, and lead. So there is an interesting discussion in the Paiskim. Let's say, what about aluminum? So Rebelsky actually says aluminum really is not a metal whatsoever. Everybody whatsoever, everyone really should be better at their, at their their chemistry and know what aluminum is, and therefore he holds aluminum is not even on the table for discussion. Okay, no one goes to Rebelsky on that one. Everyone else assumes that aluminum is considered to be a a, a, a metal. I mean, Rebelsky knew the science; he knew what he was talking about. But classic Rebelsky. But but all the other places can assume that aluminum is a a metal. I, I, I don't know. I don't know chemistry. I'm one of those people that don't know the chemistry. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, he held it. The, 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 if, if you would study how the molecules of aluminum work, you would see it's not really in the metal. I don't know. Anyone, anyone here, a chemist in here, a periodic table? Who, who's holding here? Yeah? It's metalloid, not a metal. Oh, shkayach. Beautiful. Klicheres. Wow, aluminum. Interesting. Okay, fine. That is not the nominative approach that most postkim take. Most postkim do hold that, that aluminum is considered to be a metal. But the question is the following, and this is a machlok is Ramesha and Ravadya versus Ravosner. Dain Vosner is are the materials that are listed in the pasuk specific? Are the materials listed in the pasuk specific, or are they a paradigm that anything which whose chemical behavior is similar to these metals? So if we would discover some new metal which didn't exist during the time of Chazal, or they didn't know about during the time of Chazal, or during the time of the Torah, rather. So would that be, is this a paradigm, and therefore you're meant to learn out from these, these one, two, three, four, five, six metals, that any other metal that would come out would be included in the category of a metal? Or no, are these metals specific? So, Rebosner held that any metal that would come out in the history of the world is also going to be included here, and the Torah was just giving you an example of a type of material. Ramesh and hold that, no, it is specific. The Ikrapsak, I mean, is to be Mako, like Ramesh and Ravadya, that, and there's more to it, there's, there's, um, there's um, Tresrel on it, there's Vilnagayin, well, we're running out of time. So, the, um, the Ikrapsak we have is to treat that only these metals are Deraisa, um, and any other metal like aluminum would not be deraisa. Now, the question comes with the following, that the Gemara tells us one has to tovel glass as well, too. Now, glass most certainly is not a metal. So the Gemara says the reason why you have to tovel glass is a din derabonon to tovel your glass. So everyone has this misconception. They think glass you tovel out of bracha. Or, I don't know, I heard this thing, a Pyrex is not glass. I don't know what they're talking about. Glass is a din derabonon, you have to tovel. Like any other din derabonon, do you make a bracha when you light Hanukkah licht? 
That's the Rabbanon, right? You make a bracha when you make an Erev Tashilin. That's the Rabbanon. So too, Teufel glass is the Rabbanon. No difference Pyrex, no difference uh, um, non-Pyrex glass, no different Corel, which really is, is, is a glass. Um, big shadow by Corning, what is that? Um, and so you, you would make a bracha on, on, on glass because the Rabbanon. So why did Chazal tell you after Teufel glass the Rabbanon? They say because it shares a certain chemical property with metal, which is both Mershayich for Hatacha, which is they're both able to be smelted. So if you get a hole in your glass, you can bring it to a, an Uman and he can fire up the blowtorch and he can fix the glass. Your metal also. You get a hole in your metal, you bring it to a, a craftsman, he can use the blowtorch, whatever he does, and he can kind of fix it and put it, put it back together. So Chazal regards their glass as a gzera that one might come to not toivel metal. So Midir Abonar, one has to toivel glass. So Rebbeisha makes the following rationale. And he says that just like Chazal told us that we have to toivel glass, we have to toivel aluminum as well too. Midir Abonar. Aluminum is like glass. Why? Aluminum is similar to metal, just like glass is similar to metal, that both of them, one could heat them up and one could reform it. So according to Misha Feinstein, aluminum must be toivold, midrabanan, just like glass, agzera, to protect metal kalim, because glass in material and aluminum material are similar to metal, and that they both can be um, smelted and be, and be fixed and re and reform. That is Rav, Rav Moshe Feinstein Shita, Rav Adi Yosef held, We don't make up new gzeres if aluminum did not exist on time of Chazal. And Chazal only told you that you have to toivel glass. If aluminum had been around, they might have told you to toivel aluminum. But it wasn't. And Chazal didn't tell us. And what Chazal doesn't tell us, we don't have to do. So Rav Adi holds that aluminum is totally potter. So again, my Messiah, Messiah of all the Rabbanim that I have what to do with is that we go like the Ramesha and we understand this concept of in on Oisim Xeris Medaitenu is only in one of two facets. It's a little bit complicated, a little on this, but I think we can do it. Every time when Chazal makes a Xera, there is a Geder and there is a Tam. Somebody told me once, a great way of saying it, there is the scope of the law and then there is the spirit of the law, right? So the scope of the law was it was referring to glass and glass only because there was nothing else that was included in the law. The spirit of the law was that anything which, the, the reason why glass you have to toivel is because it's similar to metal that it can be smelted. So we hold that when Chazal makes a gzera, and even though what we have in modern days does not, is not what they had at their time to make the gzera, if either it fits within the scope of the law or the spirit of the law, the gzera would... Continue. So in this case, it is not in the scope of the law. Aluminum did not exist back then, so it's not what they were going on. However, the spirit of the law most certainly would apply to aluminum, and therefore the gzeira would continue. We call it in Hebrew the tam and the geder. There are other times when the reasoning has fallen off, but it's still the same item which Chazal had asked. One famous example of that was that in the time of Gemara Beitza Davdalit, at the time of Chazal, there were um, there was a din at the time of Beitza Mikdash. Pardon me. There was a din that if you were a one day's walk from Yerushalayim, you had to bring your Meiser um, Sheni into Yerushalayim. Your fruits that you grew, you'd have to bring them Yerushalayim. The Torah prescribes a way that it's too hard for you to schlep your Meiser Sheni into Yerushalayim. The Torah says you can do pidyon. You can take the kedusha of the fruit, put it on a coin, bring the coin to Yerushalayim, and there you can buy falafel with it. No, I'm kidding. You bring korbanas over there, and you experience Yerushalayim. But if you did a one-day walk, Chazal required you to actually take your fruits, you weren't allowed to do pigeon, and bring it to Yerushalayim. Why? La'ater shuke Yerushalayim. So that the, the, the marketplace of Jerusalem should be a beautiful place filled with all kinds of fruits, right? So when the base of this was destroyed, one of the Tanoim was busy schlepping his fruits he lives within a one-day walk of Yerushalayim, to Yerushalayim, right? And they told him, what are you doing? It's destroyed. It's, it's, uh, this is what I mean. Once Chazal makes a gzeira, that if you're a one-day walk from Yerushalayim, you have to bring the Meister Shani fruits to Yerushalayim, even though there's no more beautiful shukim left to adorn. Basically, does destroy the place is an ash pile, right? Still, you have to do it. Rabbi Yochanan Zakai repealed that gzeira. I the Gemara over there. But you see that even when the reason for gzeira falls off, we still have to, have to keep it if the scope, if the gather, if, if, if it's still what Chazal was geyser. This is the opposite of that. Aluminum did not exist in the time of Chazal, but the reason they ate for glass most certainly would apply to aluminum. So therefore, Ramesha held that the gzeira should continue, and therefore aluminum must be toivold midirabonah. So if you have an aluminum pot, it's no different than a glass pot. They both would be toivold with a bracha. Well, yeah, with a bracha. Um, here's the Shiloh, though. 
What about disposables? Right? We buy disposable aluminum all the time. Uh, we use them. We throw them out. You know, so uh, there are people that I know that toivel them without a bracha. They're very makhbed. They toivel them without a bracha. They're worried about Rav who held that it could be deraisa. And they say, even according to Rav Moshe, you still have to do it midera bonon. Right? Like my Rebbe always told me from his Rebbeim, that what's the difference between a deraisa and a dera bonon? A deraisa, if you break it, Hashem will turn on the fires in Gehenna. A Rabbanon, if you break it, the rabbis will turn on the fires and Gehenna. So the rice is Rabbanon. It doesn't really matter. You got to do it. You got to do it. It's irrelevant, right? So they, they will table there these kalim and then you buy them in advance, take them to the mikvah. One, two, three, four. No bracha. No bracha. We'll explain why no bracha in a minute. Um, Ramesha has a tshuva that Ramesha says that we see in, 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 in Masach's kalim that there were certain kalim that were disposable that are not considered to be kalim because they're meant to be thrown out. So this is the classic stock most people rely on, myself included, that any kli which is meant to be thrown out is not considered to be a kli. It is only something which is temporary and therefore does not have the status of a vessel. It will not fit within the, the prescribed chiv, especially if you hold zdurabonon, to be makele on a svar like that wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world. Now, the problem is, what if you're a cheapskate? And you use your, uh, especially on Pesach, my goodness, we really, especially the big ones, right? So the 9 by 13s the, the blades have become much more liberal. I guess we became more affluent, I don't have to tell you. But when I was younger, a young, younger man, I washed every single one of those, because uh, my wife told me to. Um, but but now, we're, now we throw it out. It's not worth it. I don't have the time anymore in the cup. But you buy those, the, the Shoshua roaster pans, or on Pesach, you have the thin ones, you make matzo pizza on, right? We could use that thing over and over. I think we even put those away with the Pesach kalim, right? So uh, clearly we're using them over and over and over and over again. So it would depend. If you really intend to keep this Kaylee until the bitter end, um, then it would be, it's not disposable by you. You're going to have to table it. You're going to have to table it. If the argument is that really you intend to throw it out, but you look at this 9 by 13 and you say, it's not so dirty. We just reheated dinner in it. It still looks clean. I could use it again. Okay, but you still intend that you're going to throw it out. And then you do that another time. And you look, you think, you know, it's not really so dirty. You know, I, I can do it again. Right? So some place can um, hold, you gather up to three times like that. After that, we don't trust you anymore. But, but really, if your kavana really is, I do intend to throw this thing away, just kavala, just not dirty enough to throw away, then, then it's still temporary. It's meant to be thrown away in, in, in the trash can. It does not consider it to be a, a, a keli. However, if this is a game, it, it doesn't work. So it has to be really genuine that it's something that you intend to throw away. So that is the schmooze by materials. Now, there's a famous kasha that's asked the Ramesha. The Ramesha said, that, um, that we compare aluminum to glass. So the question about what about plastic? Plastic can also be smelted. Right? And this is the big kasher of Mesha. Uh, Diane Weiss holds you kasher plastic, uh, you, you, you toivo plastic, pardon me, kasher plastic, different child, you toivo plastic, we don't hold like that. What's going on? So there was a Talmud of Ramesha, or a Bluth, it's brought down the Tefillah's Kalem Saver. He held that he asked the kasher, and he says, it's not similar enough. Right? It, it's, it, plastic is very clear that it's, it's something different, it's not like a natural material. I don't know, it's a... It's a but Lamai says the island runs on it. So anyway, holding Ramesh in the first place, there's some discussion about that. You have Ravadia versus you know Ramesh on it, and then and then to then take that to plastic, which might be that it, it it's not really chemically similar at all enough to glass or aluminum. Aluminum, at least to continue the spirit of the Xera, it, it resembles a metal. Plastic doesn't at all, right? Um, so, so the, the argument would be is that it's too far removed for, at that point from what Chazal. Ben Geyser in the minute is not too, uh, not not plastic. Wood wood does not need um, tevila at all. Wood does not need tevila. Neither does tve, Neither does stoneware. Stoneware doesn't need tevila. Neither does china. Now. China, when it came out, was a whole new thing in the place game. They discussed it, and it was, it was an enigma. Many people thought that it, it didn't accept any Tom. Later, they held that China accepts Tom and can't be kosher. It was a big deal. Um, and by Tfilis Kalem, there are old Psukim that go back hundreds of years that we have by China. The problem is, is that we've kind of figured out more how they make it now. And what they do when they make China is that they put a very thin coating of glass on the top of the china. Like, I remember when I was a young cousin and Bed Bath & Beyond, the, the salesman took the china and he smacked it against the wall and he says, you see, it doesn't break, right? So why is that? It's because you have that glass coating on the outside which kind of protects and holds it together. So there's those who have a minig based on the old sock that china does not need tvila because it's earthenware. But a lot of more modern places are, are the opinion that the glass coating is significant, even though it's, I don't remember what it was, it was like one 
twentieth of an inch. I mean, we're talking about something that's very minuscule. But it, it's what it is. They use a powder and then they they flash um, heat it. So the the powder like spreads out over. The, it's quite amazing. Um, Reforst in his book, he he interviewed the the Lenox China Company president and he explained how it works. And the glass very much so does function to support the cleat. So. If it would be an insignificant, you know, layer. So Prima Gaudium talks about the idea about a glaze. And he holds a glaze is not significant. So if you have a stoneware cleat or you have a earthenware cleat and you put a glass glaze, basically all of our stoneware has that shine on the outside. That's some kind of a, a very for, a thin form of glass glaze. Or, you know, when you go to the pottery place and they, 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 they paint that stuff on it afterwards before they, when they put it in the... They put the glaze on it next. That glaze is, is, is glass. So Prima Gaudium Helle, that's very insignificant, that glaze. Um, it, it doesn't really service the clee so much, and therefore it's buttle to the clee. So a lot of people are makel with a glass glaze. The problem with the china is the glass is very integral to the clee. It, it gives the clee much longer life and much more stability and makes it, makes it harder. So it's kind of hard to argue that even though it's very, very small, that glass on the outside of the china, that it's insignificant, it's buttle, and, and rather it would have the size of glass. And like any other glass clee, one would have to be toivel it. If one wants to be makel, even though you could argue that it does very much service the clee, but again, it is very small, so then maybe one can extend the heter of glaze to the glass that's on the china. Right? Am I following the... Okay, good. Okay, moving on. Just fine yeah, just fine china. Yeah, your, 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 your average stoneware that you, uh, that you buy, it's not, it's not, that's not so chashif. That's just, uh, that's just um, a very light glaze. It's meant more to give a shine to it. It, it doesn't actually hold the the clee together any, any, any more. I mean, you see, if you have fine bone china, like you have good china, like you, you, you hit it. That, it's, it's, uh, I wouldn't dare do that. I, I think, I think in, in, in 17 years of marriage uh, and, and kids hanging around for, for 15 years, I think max we've broken one or two. I, 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 you know? So like, I, I, it, it, it's pretty, that, that says something. I'm, I'm yeah. What? In that house for sure. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Justin. Thanks. Do you want to compare houses on, on, on the inside? <laughs> Glass. I said that earlier. Yes, Corel is, is is glass. Corel. I think you can make a bracha on as well too. Pyrex is glass. You make a bracha. Corning. I think is more of a suffix. I, I, you know, I have to look into that some more. But my understanding is that it, that it's uh, it's it's. Um, I'm not sure. Not sure about corningware. Right. I mean, nobody really uses corningware anyway. Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't, don't use corningware. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. Um, Corel. Yeah, I got married. I wanted stoneware. It was a dumb bacher. My wife said, no, we had Corel. So, flashics were stoneware and, and milkers were Corel. No, every single piece of stoneware had broken and now it's Corel for one and Corel for the other. You live, you learn. Okay. Um, next. The, the Rashi brings, the Gemara talks about the idea that, okay, so now that we got Kalim from a non-Jew and we have to be table them, so even if I bought, you know, shears, um, not, not food shears, but just, uh, let's say, fabric shears, so I have to be table that, and the Gemara says, no, only clay suda b'mashma. We're only about food that you use for eating. So Rashi brings down that I might have thought maybe for the type of scissors you use to cut wool, and the Gemara says, no, clay suda, and Rashi says, dechsev, kol you don't have this, kol um, anything which goes in fire, or So, since the din of Tuvilus Kalim is in the same pasuk, in fact, it's an allusion. Even it's a remez, it's a drasha within the pasuk of kasher and kalim that go in the fire. The assumption is that you only need to use, you only need to toivel for this din of this weird tumah we described kalim that usually go into the fire, i.e., cookingware. So it is limited to cookingware. And not only that, it's further limited to food that makes direct, to, to kalim, pardon me, to vessels that make direct contact with the, with the food. So the mechaber held a sakin shal shchita, a, a shchita knife. Uh, well, let's, take that, let's take a step back. So what are things that don't make direct contact with the food that are not considered clay? Suda. So that would be things like a, a can opener, a corkscrew, um, a nutcracker. So the Starkey has this this kooky thing. I, I, I'm not, I shouldn't say it's not nice. I don't understand it. That they say that if you bring your nutcracker to the table, then it needs tefillah without a bracha. I, I think they assume if you're using it as clay suda, I don't know, but it always touches the shell. The nutcracker never actually touches the the nut itself. So I, I'm, I'm not really sure about that one. But a nutcracker is something that doesn't touch the food itself. Um, also a um, those wine corks that they have, you know, like in case you ruin your cork, or those like suction corks on the wine, those, those are rubber anyway, wouldn't matter. But if you have like the metal inserts, those don't touch the food. Um, the top of a pot 
needs tvila because it does touch the food. Because part of the cooking process is that the pot gets, um, race chem, it gets boiling and the steam goes up and you want to keep your steam in or else your soup would evaporate. So the pot, the, the lid of a pot very much so does interact with the food. But let's say if you have a glass cake holder, so the bottom plate of the cake holder interacts directly with the food, but the lid on the top of the cake holder does not interact directly with the food and, the, and, the, and that would not need to be, um, be toivled. Um, what about the racks inside your oven? So your toast oven, oven, you again put food directly on the toaster oven. You have to take the rack out of the toaster oven and be toivled. The racks of your main oven, most people do not put food down directly onto the rack and therefore one would not need to toivel the rack in his oven. Except when I was learning the sugi many years ago, I came up with a chap, and I'm kind of jumping to another section, but I'm just to explain this. Um, we just said before that Ramesha held that an aluminum kli is not considered really a kli because you're meant to throw it out, right? Um, so what if a person wants to toast up a bun in his oven? So he puts the bun directly on the rack. Okay, now your rack is chayv and tevila because you just put your bun directly on your rack. Oh, okay, I'll put an aluminum kli down. We just said aluminum kalim... Um, are not really considered to be a kli, right? Especially a piece of tin foil. Shlomo Zalman is an interesting sock. He says, have you ever seen it before? My in-laws have one. They have a, a metal, it's kind of cool. They have like a metal, well, I think it's not so cool. There's this cool. Most of them are not cool. They have, there's a metal, there's a metal um, bread basket that the minute is, what do you do when you have a bread basket? You fold up, and you put a napkin over the bread basket and you put the bread in. Shlomo Zalman says that the bread basket needs tvila. Why? Because the napkin is insignificant. It, it's, 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 not, it's not really a kli and it doesn't really function as a separation or a half-sick between the food and the basket. So therefore your metal bread basket needs to be toiled. So if you put a piece of tinfoil down in your oven and you put the bun on top of the tinfoil or you heat up a knish on a piece of tinfoil in your oven, that piece of tinfoil is insignificant. And so theoretically, I don't know why, but I don't know why we don't, we don't table our, our racks. So I try never to put anything, I always try to put something on a pan. You know, you have those metal pans, those are significant. Um, as far as the 9 by 13 goes, I mean, we play stick with it, right? We, we, we treat it like a clear, we don't treat it like a clear, right? The din, again, of, uh, the din of aluminum we hold is Durabon on um, anyway, but, um, but yeah, so this is somewhat of an issue. I'm not really sure what the resolution to this one is. So maybe you should always as a chumrah. You, know, you can go home with a chumrah. You can uh, you can take uh, all food that you want to warm up on your oven racks. You always put down a metal kli there in order that it shouldn't touch directly the rack, and then that would require the rack to do tefila. So good news if you're Sephardic that there's another discussion also brought down. What about a kli? Is it considered kli suda if its primary use is not for food cooking? So my cousin got married to an army. Uh, I don't know something. Something called him, and uh, she made. He made my my aunt buy him this fancy saber. This thing is uh, is this what? Are, what are they made out of? I have two of them. Well, you're navy. I forget you. What are they made out of? Steel. Steel, but they're they're expensive, right? Expensive. They're expensive. So I remember when my my, my little my, these guys weren't even born yet. My little kids were at the chasna. They the kids were totally freaked out because after the chasna, what were soldiers doing at the chasnas with swords? Right? They do the thing when they put the swords up like that, you know. And they woke, fight, no, came finally to the to the to the suda, and they took the saber and they cut the cake. Right. So they said they asked their rav, and the rav said that the saber needs to be. Because the, the halacha is that it's something you use temporarily. You have now. Sfaradim hold that you go based on the majority of usage. So for a Sfaradi, the oven rack is primarily not meant for things going directly on the oven rack. That is a very meat tashmas, a very minute usage of an oven rack is to ever have food directly on. But for an Ashkenazi, Right, who has to table his pocket knife if he wants to, you know, on a camp out, you know, separate the, the hamburgers, right? Even though that's not the primary usage of the pocket knife. That I, I, I don't know what to tell you guys about the um, about the oven racks. I, I, there's some new chumrah. We're gonna all table our, our our convert to being Sephardi, but then you have slichas. So it's it's all it's all, uh, it's, all uh, it's 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 all fine. Okay, fine. So moving on. So 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 we we so however by hechsher kalim you should know that we have the same argument, just parenthetically, when it comes to kashering something, if it needs a libun, if it needs fire, or if it needs hot water, depends on the primary way you used it. That is the main psak, that's the psak of, of, of the Shulchan and, and by the Ashkenazim, we hold like that way, we also hold that kashering goes that way. However, you know, it's brought down, that even the Ashkenazim are supposed to be concerned of me by kosh, kashering, kalim, also, so where is the nafkamin in all this? When you on Pesach do Hagala on your sink, you're somewhat of it. Because, yes, the primary way you use your sink is with hot liquids. However, every so often, a hot piece of chametz will directly touch your sink, and it's davar gosh, 
right? Um, and that's why some people have the minig that they use that hot stone and they pour the water on the hot stone on Pesach for this it's not the scope of our, our I just want to throw that, throw that in, um, that oftentimes Ashkenazim are chesed to the miyat usage, to the, to the, to the minority usage. So any kli that you have, which you want to use for food ever, ever, um, needs to be toivel, even if that's not the primary usage of it. Okay. Huh? Got grape shears. Grape shears? Yeah, my, my grandma had grape shears. Grape? Yeah, the cuts, not the grape, but the... The vine. Yeah. Right. Oh, fascinating. Oh, I assume that's like a nutcracker. That should be Potter and Fila. Yeah, wow. Cool. Yeah, you wouldn't use it for anything else? Wow, that's so interesting. Cool. Okay, I never heard of something like that. There's an interesting discussion by, um, by, um, by, by Klishimor, Kalim that are used to store things. So, for example, you have a glass... A vessel used to store your um, chocolate chips in for baking, right? So you don't eat with it. So any, any kale you bring to the table, you serve food on, is most certainly called food involved, uh, a kale that's used for direct eating, and that's in the final processing of the food. Any kale that you cook your food in, your food will become ready in. When you use it, it's considered to be uh, clay suda. What about a, a storage clay? So the food's completed, it's just being stored somewhere. So again, Svartim have a tzad to be mekel, Ashkenazim are machmer. So if you have like an olive oil glass thing that you use, a, a glass jar or, or spigot thing you use for cooking with. You don't bring it to the table. You're not an Italian. You're not fancy. You don't put it on your bread. You only leave it in the kitchen, right? Um, Svartim wouldn't have to be table that. Ashkenazim would have to be table that because, again, even a storage usage is considered um, clay suda for the Ashkenazim. There is an interesting discussion about a sakin shal shchita about, and I don't want to get involved. This is more complex. I don't have enough time for this. Sakin shal shchita is a, is a, a knife used for shechting. It, it is a knife that's used on the food, but it's used earlier in the production phase, nowhere near for the the food to be ready to eat. Svardim are makel on that. Ashkenazim hold that yutoivel without a bracha. The example of that would be, for example, um, cookie cutters. Cookie cutters are used only on dough. You'll never touch the cookie cutters to completed food. So, therefore, one should toivel cookie cutters without a bracha. There is more to discuss about this category, but it has very little application and... Um, and, and it will take too much time. Okay, um, an interesting child that came up is a meat thermometer. The blades used the meat thermometer for the first time recently. Um, our new oven, new, our new oven of seven years um, has this meat thermometer. You actually plug it into the oven and you could stick it into your into your food. And, and, right? and it was an experiment and it didn't work at all. Um, the child is so that goes in the food. That goes in the food itself. It touches the food. Um, it's, it goes in the final product, pr- pr- production of the food, right? Other it tells you when the food's ready, right? So it's very much in the, the final production of the food. Um, but um, it, it doesn't actually do anything to the food. It's purely just an indicator telling you when the food is ready. So is that called clay suda? Is it, is it, what? What are you talking about? What do you say, Rabbi Boldinger? What? Well, clay suda is not bringing to anything which deals with the final production of food. So every pan, every pot, Every knife in your, you could cut vegetables as the final production of food, right? right. Um, it's not necessarily bringing it to the table. So the pan that the turkey or chicken was in, they use the thermometer on, right? Even if you put it in another serving dish to bring that to the table, that, that pan is clay suda because it produced the final food. You're just checking. So that seems to be the Igrip Sak. The Igrip Sak is that a meat thermometer is considered just checking, and it's purely an indicator. It doesn't actually um, change the cooking whatsoever. So an interest, some interesting applications of the concept of clay suda. So the only type of, of clay you're chayavin is one that's meant for eating purposes, clay suda. So it's brought down that if you have something called clay schayra, so I'm a yid, and I own a um, pot store. I own a, um, I feel like such an idiot. What do you, what do you call those things? Um, like Kuglers, what, what, do you, what do you call a store like that? I'm really rich, I own a department store, okay? Oh, what, kitchenware. kitchenware, I own a kitchenware store, and I sell all kinds of pots and pans and, and, and whatnot. So now, am I chayiv to be toivel everything that's in my store? We spoke before, you don't, you know, there wouldn't be a chayiv, exactly, but would it be a mitzvah? Let's say I want to toivel everything in my store. Can I offer a service to my customers? I'll pre-toivel everything in my store. So we paskin, no, you cannot. Why? Because for the owner of the kitchenware store, those are not klesuda, those are not cooking implements. Those are klesuda, that's merchandise. Business is business, and cuisinart is cuisinart. Nothing to do with each other. So it comes out a very interesting application, right? You go to the store and you buy a beautiful kli that's chayv and tefillah for the people you're spending Shabbos by. And you decide you're going to be a really, really nice guy and you're going to pre-toivel it, 
right? And then give it to your guests. Or it happened many times. Shalchmanas Purim is coming. Somebody's very cute and they want to spend a lot of money on Shalchmanas. Rambam says give more in Stucco than you should on Shalchmanas. Just, just pointing that one out. And, uh, and you want to take the kli and you want to toivel a glass kli and fill it up with chickpeas and you have some kind of cute rhyme and joke about chickpeas and then give it to the person that you're going to give the Shalchmanas to, right? Your tevila does not work. Because when you held on to that kli, it was not meant for suda. It was kli matana. It was a kli you never intended to use for eating with. You intended to give it as a gift. Just like the kitchenware store man wasn't planning on cooking in those pots. He was planning on selling them. So you can't pre-toivel a gift that you're going to give to somebody else. You, uh, the store, store owner cannot pre-toivel kalim in his store in order, to, in order to sell them to somebody else. So what is the etza if you want to pre-toivel? And if you've done this before, you should contact whoever it is that you did this to. Yes. Was it temporary or permanent? No, they gave out these grill pans. So you have to table it. Up during COVID. Yeah. You get food. You put on your grill pan. They said they totaled the uh, the grapes before. <laughs> Go, go ask their place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So what is the Eitzah? Maybe they did the Eitzah. Here, what is the Eitzah? How can you get around this problem? We have a pro- concept called Zachin L'Adam Shol B'fanav. It's Bal Metziah. Now we're going to mix it. I don't know if they did this. You should call and find out. Right? They did that? That's what they said? Okay. So they... Ah, ah! Oh, my papers. Avalanche. Okay, sorry. Thank you, Chavra. I'm sorry. Wow, what an exciting sheer. Everything's flying everywhere. Um... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, so the eitzah you can do is called zochem al shol b'fanav. It's a choshen mishpat thing, which is theoretically anything which is a schos, anything which is something which somebody else would want. I have the ability to affect a kinyan for other people. So the rabbi does this every erev yomtiv when you need erev tavshilin. That we know that if you forgot your erev tavshilin, you can rely on the fact that the rabbi took his erev tavshilin and gave everybody in the city a portion in the erev tavshilin. Now, how did he give everybody? A portion. He just wished it willfully. That should work. No. You have to actually make it the ownership of everybody in the city. So what he had to do is he had to get a third party, like Effie. Effie, you're my third party. And, and I take the clean and I say, Effie, I want you to make a kid, raise it up in the air, and you are going to be makna it to Sadia over there. No, no, don't give it to Sadia yet. No, no, he doesn't even know about it yet. Yeah, it's, I haven't given come to his house for Shabbos yet, right? So, uh, so we pick up the Kaylee and let someone else be your agent, and they can make a Kenyan for somebody else. So you're saying that's what the Torah school did. You they, know who that person is, though, or can you make it in general? Because then if that's the case in general, then why can't the store owner do it for all his future customers? Yeah, he can't. No, it has to go to somebody. In, in, I mean, listen, by, by Arab Tashlum, we do it with Kol B'nei Ha'ir, yeah, they, I think they did that. I think they, I think they did that. I think they did that. Now, a good eight that you can do for a from store, if like I don't know, Kuglers or if you're in Lakewood, they're everywhere, and you want to buy a Kaylee over there, you can have them um, be table it for you if they will do this for you in advance. So, like, I'm running around, I'm busy. Can you table it? Table it for you. They have to do it for you now. Now, now, what should mean they'd have to get a third party. They would have to get a third party to make the Kenyan for you. What does not work, by the way, is Kenyan Kasef. Kenyan Kasef. If you use money as a means to acquire something, we hold that that does not work. So if I were to buy something from Ali I w- and I gave him money for it, it's not mine halakhically until I do Hagba. I pick it up. It didn't used to be that way. Different share, right? Um, until I pick it up, until I do Hagba. So if, I were, if you were to prepay the store, it's still not your vessel. They could go to the mikvah for you and dunk it. You would have to go and actually pick it up or they could get a third party as an agent to pick it up for you and acquire it to you and then they could toivel it for you. So if you're going to go somewhere for Shabbos and you want to be cute and give them a clean and say you pre-toivel it, you have to get a third party to make an acquisition for your hosts. Once it's acquired now remotely for your host, you can then toivel it in the mikvah for your host. You 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 can't you you can't simultaneously acquire out and acquire in at the same time. You're one person, and halacha requires another party. He has to get some other agent. What? He's the third party from the store. He went to the store and instead of buying it for the Rosemount family, he bought it for Oh, them. that's different. Yeah, for sure. You can go to a store and buy something for somebody else, and the store is selling it. You're the agent for the person that's receiving it. You pick it up and you give it. The store can't do it because they can't. It can't fundamentally. Once again, Rabbi Middleman, come to you. Can't fundamentally leave something from your your domain and then also accept it. Like you, it's like a Siamese twin. It's like here, one hand to the other hand, right? It, it doesn't work. It needs to literally go from one person to another person. He can function as the agent 
of the other person. Yes, Rabbi Middleman. What do you do if somebody does give you this untitled candy dish or chickpea? Well, if it's a candy dish and the Shalom Bayis issues, it could be Semachar Ramesha. We could have put the candy on the table, right? Okay. Um, and, uh, and it's really a Shalom Bayis issue, whatever it is. What? A trifle dish. A trifle dish. Uh, that's that's like somewhere between. Like, could you put that on the table or not? I don't know. What, what do you mean about a soup bowl? How about a soup bowl, right? He's not giving you soup for a gift, but let's yeah, a I, I, yeah, we don't break the rabbans. Yeah. Again, again back to the Gehenim and the rabbis. What? No, 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 what do you do? <laughs> what? <laughs> you wait till after Shabbos, you table it again. You can serve it on Shabbos. Nothing to talk about. If a candy dish, yeah, but a trifle dish. Sorry. I mean, unless if you find a non-Jewish person to do the great eitzah, which we're not going to have time to get to, which is that you could uh, uh, sell it or give it as a gift to a guy and lend it. By the way, that Eitzah only works for Shabbos. It doesn't work. The, the Shulchan Aruch brings down, so going back a minute, oh, oh, how can the end of the, the thing? I'm running out of time. The Shulchan Aruch brings down an Eitzah that what can you do if you don't have a means to table something? It's like we said before, Kalim that go from the ownership of a, a non-Jew to a Jew are Chayv and Tzvila. So if I go ahead and I am I, 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 how do you say, to acquire through someone else, I give acquisition of a Kli to a non-Jew and it now becomes owned by a non-Jew and I go and borrow it back from him. So at that point, um, it's not my ownership. It's not comparable to Midian where it went from the hands of non-Jews to Jews and then I can, I can use this as a borrowed Kli from a guy. However, the Mechaber only brings it down as an Eitzah for Erev Shabbos. And the reason why is because if we have a situation where I'm perpetually borrowing something from a non-Jew, at a certain point, it becomes legal fiction. It's stupid and it's clear that really I am the owner of the Kli, which is why during COVID... I had all these wonderful plucking running around, like what, what, what to do. The OU was very smart, actually. I don't want to talk about COVID. I, I, not, but, but the OU was very smart. They actually made a star mechira. So they did it much more like officially. Um, and even so, after enough time, it looked kind of funny. Uh, I don't want to give all the star. He had an interesting sock. They said you should be mafker the kli, and, and uh, that, that, one, that one needs to be worked on. Okay, let us continue. Now that all my papers fell all over the floor, I don't even know where I am. All right. Um... I'm sorry, give me just three seconds to find where I am. I'm getting there. Oh, we're on the right track now. There we go. All right. Um, interesting, another application of this Klischaria, Ravad Yosef, as a Kula. I'm, I'm not sure if everybody goes with this, but he says that a caterer, a Jewish caterer, does not need to be table his caleb. Because by him, this is not utensils for eating. This is business, right? This is business. So therefore, officials or whoever would not, according to Ravad Yosef, need to be told their Caleb because it's not considered food, Caleb for Cuisinart or for food eating or clay suda. Rather, it's considered a business tool that the caterer uses. Happens to be his business is feeding people, right? So that's why many places do not agree with Ravad Yosef. And I think the Ashkenazi Minik is that we have our caterers table their um their, their, their stuff. Yeah, sorry, middleman. I'm not following that so much, but um, you'll tell, tell me later. What? Oh, his own, his own. Oh, <laughs> well, if he's tasting it, if he's tasting it, we can make an argument. It's still business. That's interesting. Okay, let us continue. Okay, now um, um, let's talk about Kalim that will break. Let, 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 let's let's go and, and diverge a little bit here. So you have Keurigs and Nesca, whatever these things are called, the, the espressos. Thank you, everyone, and all kinds of other wonderful electric devices. Now that um, so any any clee where the part that you cook in can be removed from the clee most certainly needs tvila. The Ramah speaks of the idea that if you have a grinder and the cup which receives the food. Um, is not chayv and tevila, like, the, like you, know, you grind and it enters into some kind of receptacle to catch what you ground. So the pepper grinds into a wooden cup. So you wouldn't need to toivel the wooden cup because it's removed. So anything which removes from the kli does not need to be toiveled at the same time. So, for example, if you have, like I say, a kitchen aid, um, you, you, um, you need to toivel the, the insert you put on the arm, which stirs, because that touches the food. You have to be toivel the pot, which holds the food that's being stirred. You don't have to dump the KitchenAid in the water because none of that clay actually ever touches the food and everything is removable from that clay. So if it's meant to be removed, so then you can be table it in pieces. But what do you do with something that's not meant to be, uh, 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 not meant to be removed? This Keurig in the back of the room, exhibit A, right? Over there on the inside, supposedly, there's a metal heating element and there is that wonderful pin that like pins into the, um, the, the, K, the K-Pod and it, it shoots the water through the K-Pod, right? So, Shall we take the entire Keurig? I guess the water supply has all plastic. We can take it off. But the part, anything that doesn't come off, does it all need to go into the, 
into the, the mikvah? And the answer is Pashtus, yes, right? So hot water urns, sandwich makers, George Foreman grills, you name it, they all need to go in. And I will tell you that if it does not have a microchip, there is no problem with doing it. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You just need to make sure you dry it for 48 hours, l'chumra, okay? L'chumra, l'chumra, l'chumra. I've, I've been toiled countless sandwich makers, and they did not break because they were toiled. They broke because kids dropped them on the ground. They were cheap from CVS, and, and they, they smashed. But I've had some that have lasted for years and years and years. Urns, coffee urns. What kills my coffee urn is sediment from all of the, 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 the minerals that are, are, are inside your hot water that kind of ruins the urn. The electricity has never died on an urn. An urn is a simple machine. It has electrical components to it, and it just needs to, it just needs to dry. However, if you toggle something with a microchip, it will break. It will break. Nothing to talk about. And as time goes on, more and more of our Kalim have microchips to them. I once toggled a coffee machine that had... Um, electronic component to it that needed a microchip for yeshiva and, and, it, and it just it, it just demised. It, it died and it didn't last. So what do you do now with a curing? You can't toggle that thing. It will break. There's nothing to talk about. Don't do it. Don't try this at home. So there's a couple of approaches on how to, how to deal with this issue. One issue is Rabbi Heidemann has an interesting kula. So if you remember in the beginning of this year, it seemed like forever ago. Remember, I started late, by the way, just for, for the record. And, uh, in the beginning of the year, we spoke about the idea that using a keli is only midir abonon. It's only isr And the reason why, why there would be an isr using a kli you didn't toivold is in order to get you to toivol the kli. Well, the kirig, you're not going to get me to toivol the kli. If I toivol the kli, it's going to break. So I'm an onus. Uh, it's against my will. I'm, uh, I'm forced. Uh, I'm good English. Onus. No, that's not a good word. That's a bad word. Coerced. Coerced. Not a good word either in this, this circumstance. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's no way for me to accomplish it. The Torah does not expect me to do something which is impossible for me to do. If I tovel it, so why am I toveling it? So it should be clay suda. It should be used for cooking. Well, if I tovel it, it will not be clay suda because it won't work. So there's really no way to tovel it. And the Torah will say in a place of ones, I don't have to tovel it. Once he says, you don't have a chiv deraisa to tovel it anymore... So there's going to be no Isra Durabanan and using it. The whole point of the Isra Durabanan is to get me to tovel it. And the tovel of Duraisa, I don't have to do because I'm an oinus. That is Rabbi Heidemann's great kula for the machine. Rabelsky had a different kula. He held that it's primarily plastic and very little, um, very little metal. And the metal serves an insignificant part. The Shulchan Aruch talks about the idea that if you have a kli, let's say you have a glass kli and you have like a metal patch there. Right? So you don't have to table it because of the metal patch, because the metal patch is really insignificant. Whereas let's say the spout was metal. So something which does a more fundamental job um, is metal, so you have to table it even though it's the minority of the cleat because the metal is doing something for you for your suda. I don't really know what he's talking about because the, the poker on the Keurig is 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 metal and, and that's what's making the coffee. I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, the other argument they have is that there's a sheet of what? It's aluminum. It's aluminum. No, no, the pot's plastic. The, the poker, in the, there's a piece of metal that pokes into the, into the plastic. In fact, the, owner, the, the maker of Keurig is very upset with himself. He, real, he realizes he destroyed the earth because he created so much plastic everywhere. That, yep. Okay, moving on. So um, there is a famous sheet of the Chalk of Yaakov, or Bryce. Or Bryce was a Swedish Rav from after the, after the war. Um, Bryce held that any Kli which is connected to the ground is, is doesn't need tevilah because it's not mekabel tuma. A lot of places can learn that the, what kalim need tevilah are kalim that are mekabel tuma, but a kli that's connected to the ground is not mekabel tuma. So for example, if I was in a factory and I have one of these massive pots that is like um, bolted into the ground, it would not require tevilah because it's not a kli, it's part of the building. So Bryce said, because these kalim only function when plugged into the wall, they are considered, they are bottled to your house, and they are no longer a kli, and they don't need tvila. So that is an interesting kula, that anything you plug in the wall doesn't need tvila. Rabbi Yalshev said that that's ridiculous, and you're not allowed to be soymich on that. He didn't even believe anybody said it. Um, the other that we have kind of combines the plugging in the wall with a different kula. So the halacha is that if you have a kli that was made by a non-Jew, and it got damaged, or a hole got poked in it, and it no longer is able to function as a kli, you can bring it to your handy-dandy um, Jewish Uman, craftsman, and if he fixes the kli for you, so then it's now considered to be a Jewish kli. It's no longer because it wasn't a, a kli owned by a non-Jew. You bought it. You became chayv in tevila. Then it broke, and it no longer functions as a kli. It lost its status as being a vessel. You bring it to a Jew. A Jew recreates it. Now it's a kli that was made by a Jew. It doesn't require tevila anymore. So what we do is, I have a guy, I, I don't want to give his name out, but maybe you guys are handy, is what we do all the time is we unscrew 
where the where the you can unscrew any part of the kli really, but where the where the power enters in the kli and we disconnect the wires there and put them put them back. Um, who does that? Yeah, we know we know who does that. Um, and and at that point, that's considered that that you've broken enough function of the kli that it won't work anymore. Um, and so anytime that you make the kli not functional and you put it back together, so then that is considered like a Jewish craftsman has fixed the kli and now it is a brand new kli. Rosh Zalman says that in conjunction with being plugged in the wall, those two things together were willing to be made well. Now the question is, what is called doing something to the kli that you've destroyed function? Um, so Barango likes to give together that the, I remember this from a child in the doctor's offices. I don't think it's been around anymore. But Reader's Digest used to have um, you know, um, a home improvement section where they rated it by wrench. A one wrench job, a two wrench, so like changing the aerator in your sink is a one wrench, you know, putting in the, 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 the toilet with the wax seal. That's like a five wrench job, right? Yeah. Um, so so if, if you're able to do something about a two and a half to three wrench, so that's considered to be an uman. Something that the average person would be like, well, I'm not unscrewing that thing, I'm not coming near it. So then that's considered like you actually broke it because the average person would not really be able or be too afraid to put it back together, so that's considered the clee was broken. Otherwise, if it's something that's so simplistic that anybody, like, for example, if you just pop off the insert that we put the um, Keurig in, that's not good, because that's like Legos. Anybody can come and just snap it right back on. We don't view that as fundamentally um, breaking the clee. So that's another Eitzah. The third Eitzah is you write a star to a, to a non-Jewish person. Apparently, that's what Rabbi Anamar used to do. Rabbi Anamar would have the urns, and he would give them as a matana to Pedro, who used to, used to be here, those who remember Pedro. Uh, Jose, not Pedro, Jose, Jose, pardon me. I don't remember Pedro. Pedro was before my time. But Jose, Jose was it. You remember Jose? So he used to give it to Jose, and, and that, that's what that, that's what he would do. I don't know if he made a star. I don't know if he was Saimich on the um, on, on on just the temporary borrowing it back, borrowing it so to speak back from Jose. I'm not I'm not, I'm not really sure. Okay. Um. So so that's that. So yeah. Basically, most places can make it with the with the devices that will that will break. But I'm telling you, if it does not have a microchip, then it it um it it will not break. Okay, one last area I really want to discuss is the idea of coatings on 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 Kalem. We spoke a lot of it about China, about the glass coating on, on China. There is a three-way machloikis um, that in based on the Gemara and the Paiskim, and that is about if you have a kli that either has a wood outside and a metal inside, a metal outside and a wood inside, and a third Shita, which is that you have a wooden cleave that has metal supports, kind of like those ancient barrels that had those, um, the metal on the outside, which kind of held the cleave together. So if you have a cleave that's primarily plastic or wood, and there's some kind of a metal that's holding it together from the outside, that, that would not require tevila at all. If you have a cleave, which basically is a metal cleave with an insert that's put inside of it, which is not, um, which it does not need tevila. So for example, if you would have a metal thermos that would have a lining of plastic on the inside, Sfaradim do not need to toivel that because what's on the inside is plastic that touches the food. Ashkenazim would need to toivel that without a bracha. If you have a plastic vessel with a metal lining on the inside where the metal touches the food, Sfaradim would toivel that with a bracha. Ashkenazim would toivel that without a, a, without a, a bracha. So what comes up, interesting enough, is Teflon, Right? I would have thought, and I spoke to my Frank about it also, I always, I would assume that Teflon is really not considered to be a coating. When the guy's talking about a, a, a wooden clee where you poured in smeltering metal and you created a whole other like, layer in the clee. Teflon is this very, very thin layer that's, that functions with the clee, so it should be non-stick. It, 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 it's, it's very small. It's almost like the glaze the Prima Gaudium spoke about that almost is, is, is not significant enough to be called a layer. Rabarangol and the Star K both hold that a Teflon Kli, Teflon Kli should be toveled without a bracha. So basically, unless you're buying stainless kalim that you have to use steel wool to clean, any modern day Kli that you are buying um, that has the Teflon coating in it, which is about all of them, would be without a bracha. And better to use a different Kali and toveled it and have in mind to be, you would say, the Teflon Kli. Obviously, a ceramic frying pan is ceramic. It's not one of the materials that requires. Um, Tvila, did I miss anything? Oh, yeah. If you have, like, let's say, a um, earthenware kli, and it has, like, um, a, a paint, um, pardon me, if you have a metal kli, pardon me, if a metal kli and, or a glass kli, it's more, probably more likely with glass, that um, you, you have a glass kli and you paint pictures inside the kli, images, whatever, and you put paint on a glass kli, paint is not considered to be a layer, it's considered a full-blown glass kli, and it requires tvila with a bracha, 
Last thing that's just fascinating, that when you toivel a kli, even the parts that are non-essential for the cooking need to go in the water, because like we said before, doing a chatzit tvila on a kli is no good. So if you toivel half a spoon, and the other half a spoon, it doesn't work. So let's say I have an urn. I want to toivel my Shabbos urn. And, ooh, two more points. And I drop it into the water, and the cord, I don't put all the way into the water, right? So according to the Pashtis, most Paiskim, you need to repeat the tvila. Because even though the cord doesn't cook, it is part of the vessel itself. It is a chalak of the kli, and it's called, you didn't dunk the entire kli in, and that would be what we call tevila lechatzayin, that you partially put it in. How many times this happened that I bought some appliance, I put it in with the cord, and then I found a piece of plastic on where the two prongs were, right, when, they, when you buy it, they have a plastic protector on the prongs, that's a chatzitza, and it stopped the water from touching the, uh, the metal, and I had to toivel it again. Ramesha has a kula, if the cord sticks out, if anyone was interested to understand that kula, um, please talk to me after the, after the shear. And the last thing I want to talk about is a chatzitza, having a something that interposes between the kli and the water. For example, those stickers that are on, on, on the kli, and as much as you try to get that adhesive off, it just does not come off. Um, is that a problem? Is that not a problem? So let's just quickly talk about the lochas of chatzitza. According to the Torah, the only thing that is a chatzitza is something which is rove, which, is, which blocks the majority of the cleave from touching the water, and is something that you are mock-pit on. So, for example, a, a painter, right, who has paint over the majority of his body, but that's how he lives, so he's not mock-pit, he doesn't care about the paint. Midiraisa, um, that is not a chatzitza. Midira bonon, either criteria function as a chatzitza. Either it's something which you don't care about, but it's on the majority of your body, or it's something which... Um, you do care about, but it's on the minority of your body, that is problematic. But it would come out that if you have a chatzitza on the minority of your body, and it's something that you don't care about, um, then even midirabana the tefillah is good. So if you put my kli into the mikvah, and I take it out, and I say, oh no, there was a sticker on the bottom. So the sticker takes up the minority space on the kli. Now the question is, am I makbid, or am I not makbid? And this requires a tremendous amount of honesty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most of us really are makfid. So you would have to table it again. We don't want it there. We would take the sticker off. If, if it really is such a thing, like, um, I don't know, it's, it's some kind of a sticker on a, on a, again, a design that's meant to be there is considered it's part of the, part of the kli. I don't know. It takes a tremendous amount of honesty. I would suggest re, be, uh, retable the kli without a bracha. Without a bracha. Okay. Everybody, thank you.